Welcome to episode 139 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined once again by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ben? I think this is the first time. This is a very minor piece of NCR trivia, but I think it's the first time we've ever been in the same country that's not the U.S. and not done a show together. Because I'm in I'm in Melbourne already, and you are in Sydney. How's Sydney? This is true. Sydney's great. Um, lovely. Warm much warmer than it was in Brisbane. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm only here until Wednesday and then I make my way to Melbourne for the draw and get ready for that little tournament next week. But yeah, so far it's so good here. I mean, a little bit of the same story as Brisbane in a lot of different ways, lots of withdrawals and things like that, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's, let's go, let's start back in Brisbane where we were together last. Uh, the tournament was won by Victoria Azarenka on the women's side, which I think we pretty much called, not directly at the time, but we were talking about how all of the injury issues opened the road even more for Azarenka than usual. And I think after we did our show, Muguruza pulled out after that and Serena continued to have injury issues at Hopman Cup. I mean, injury thing really piled up so i guess before we get to brisbane in particular courtney how how much of a again this is a little what we said last show too but it got worse since then so how much should people read into withdrawals and as you sort of tweeted are all withdrawals created equal not all withdrawals are created equal and and i i will i mean i think that straight up i think that that um you know it's it's a lot of fun to put all this stuff down on paper and say that that there's an absolute catastrophe and the australian open is going to be a mess the australian open might be a mess i'm not saying that it's not but i think that there's a lot of that you can definitely parse out which withdrawals or retirements are more disconcerting than others and um I don't think that it takes a rocket scientist to do that, honestly. And I will say that, that you know, especially in Brisbane and some of it here in Sydney, I've been, you know, running around talking to the WTA players and asking them, you know, I mean, I think that this happened a bit in Brisbane. I remember a few Australian journalists were asking a few of the players, you know, do you think that you know, all of these withdrawals were seeing the top four so injured and whatnot? Does that open up things in Australia? Does that make things a little bit easier? Do the second tier of players feel like they've got a real shot? I think that almost to a T, almost every single one of them kind of shrugged off the top player withdrawals. Um, there weren't a lot of people that bought, a lot of players that bought into that idea that somehow Melbourne was going to be any more open than any other tournament in the past. Quite a few players, in fact, have said they're like, you know what, they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those top players will be absolutely fine when Melbourne comes around. Everybody knows there's precautionary pullouts and things like that. So I think that that's part of it, you know, especially when you look at the withdrawals of people like Sloane Stevens out of Hobart and Rodvanska, those are no-brainer withdrawals, to be quite frank. Um, obviously, these players have commitments to tournaments and they've entered and all that sort of stuff. But I think that everybody also kind of knows that depending on how that first week goes, you know, if you get enough matches under your belt, you head to Melbourne. I think that that's, that's pretty much standard operating procedure for everyone, which is why I was actually quite surprised that Angelique Kerber, who played, you know, uh, four or five good matches uh, up in Brisbane, actually made it to Sydney, played her first match. It was the hottest day of the year so far, like any conditions that she's had to play in, really struggled with kind of jet lag and, and the heat, made it through. But then, and I asked her, you know, why would you play? Like, why wouldn't you just go to Melbourne? She said, I felt fine. And uh, she said, felt physically fine, but pulled out today before yeah. her uh, match against Makarova due to a GI illness. So, you know, uh, none of those withdrawals concerns me in the slightest. <laughs> you know, I think that the ones that are a little bit more worrisome for me is probably Halep. I think I'm, I'm still 
concerned about that Achilles. I do think that it's real because I do think that she is a player that wants match play. She is not, um, especially ahead of the the Open. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Maybe a little bit of Maria because I don't really know what's going on and how bad that forearm is. I'm a little bit bit less concerned with Serena, but we'll see. But she was practicing today in Melbourne, I understand. And, you know, she looks looks fit it's just a matter of getting that inflammation down in her knee yeah so it just i don't know i i don't i just don't think that it's like the apocalypse that it's being made out to be quite yet now once the open open is over maybe it is all you know everybody puts down lays down their cards and it is but as of right now i really don't think that it's going to have too much impact on on melbourne yeah i would totally agree i think Maria and serena i mean i'm not serena definitely it's encouraging to see her practicing on site in melbourne maria with how she's done at the u.s open a couple times recently where she has practiced and then pulled out of the tournament right fairly last minute um i do think that's more up in the air i'm less confident in her just because it has been a, a, a niggling thing for her i would like to see everybody come back but if, if there is one of those two pulling out it wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me halop halop's been practicing in sydney i'm not too concerned about her i would think if it was really bad she'd be resting for melbourne and so far she's not doing that so i'm, I'm optimistic for her maybe more than you are but overall yeah i think it, i think it's just a lot of I don't think we'll have a complete, you know, no show at the Australian Open. I don't see that happening, but I think some some first round exits we might get or early round exits might be more explicable than they would be otherwise, even by WTA standards. When let's be clear, like nobody outside of like Serena or Maria is ever really a huge upset early at one of these tournaments anymore. Nowadays, anyhow, uh, but it did set does it set up all very well for Victoria Azarenka, I think, who looks great, continuing to look great throughout the rest of the week in Brisbane. Uh, since we we talked her up a lot after just beating Vesnina, and she managed to do really well the rest of the week as well, knocked off against not the toughest competition in the world. I mean, the highest ranked player. Well, she played Vinci and Kerber, both of whom she had undefeated records against. Uh, she played Samantha Crawford in the semis, and she played her second round against Yeseline Bonaventure. So not the hardest road, I don't think, for for Azarenka, but she handled it with incredible incredible consistency and dominance, and looks absolutely ready to go. And, and if there are question marks or asterisks anywhere to be found in the top players, I think Azarenka is very much an exclamation point start to the season. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I think that, you know, it's not about the necessarily the title run or um, getting the title in and of itself. It's just the way that she did it. And I just was really incredibly impressed by just how, how dynamic her movement was, how assured she was in the decisions that she was making on court she just she looked in mid-season form to be honest and that was what i found to be impressive i thought i thought kerber was impressive as well i thought that she came up against a really really good vika in that final but that first set was was definitely closer than 6-3 yeah and then there's as a rank um, i'm sorry uh then there's Redvanska, who didn't play anybody ranked higher than 95. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazingly soft draw for wt yeah in shenzhen she didn't lose a set so so there's that but, you know, it's a confidence booster, obviously, for her. It's a, it's a good week to just shake off the rust, I think. Um, and uh, and you know, she's, she's got a win streak going, dating back to she uh, does. Singapore. Yeah. She does. It's not as long as a, of a win streak as we thought because she did have those two losses in group play. <laughs> you know, right. like you, you kind of assume, you're like, oh, well, she won like a bunch. And you're like, oh, no, that's I went back and counted. I was like, no, it's like a five match win streak <laughs> like uh maybe six or seven but uh but yeah i i think that those three players were definitely you know the most impressive to me over the first week i think that you know there's absolutely a reason to put them on short lists for for contenders at the aussie 
given everything. So so that's good. I mean, that's, you know, and, and Redvanska, importantly, gets the number four seed at the Australian Open, or yeah. at least a top four seed, depending on if anybody else pulls out in the top four. But that's pretty massive. And Vika, also interesting seeding, now is going to be one of the 13 through 16 seeds, which means that she is going to play, she will be slated to play a top four player in the fourth round, which could be brutal. I mean, pretty much anybody she gets in that section, I'm sure doesn't want to see her there. I mean, it's going to be one of, right now, Serena, Halep, Muguruza, or uh, Rivanska. That's that's gonna be a blockbuster fourth round. Who matter? No matter who it is. Um, <laughs> I hope it's not Serena, just because Vika had to play Serena so many times <laughs> last year and got and, and lamented the fact that she had yeah. to. She, I mean, she finally just said, like, I think towards the end of the season, like, when am I gonna get a break on these draws? This is ridiculous, and that's a fair point. And so it is the irony of the fact that she finally gets herself up into the top 16 for a top 16 seed, first time since the 2014 U.S. Open she'll be seated in the top 16. Good stat. But <laughs> it doesn't necessarily make her draw any easier <laughs> you know no definitely not Tomic has the same thing Tomic uh, worked to get a top 16 seed I think he's guaranteed I think he did it for himself uh, with his run to the semis of Brisbane but it's one of those things like you almost might want to be a 17 and possibly avoid a higher ranked player where if you're 13 through 16 you're guaranteed to fly right into them which I know is a situation that some players like I think John Isner has found himself in a lot in that sort of range of the rankings and yeah there's different sort of ways to game three out the seedings where Vika might have been better off not that she would have planned this or, you know, tanked for this to get a 17 or 18 seed. Uh, Wozniacki, I think, also is in that in that range. Yeah, so let's hear, actually, from Vika coming off of her title. And then after that, we'll hear from her coach, Wim Fissett, who has some interesting things to say about her offseason and conditioning and all sorts of that stuff. Vika, you seem like you're just much more confident right now than you did last year or the year before. Um, yeah. Confident with myself for sure, definitely. Uh, a lot more comfortable, a lot more calm, a lot more um, aware, um, and that's um, happy, very happy. That started what December, November, or even September. You seem to be playing pretty well before you got hurt. So you mean then, last year? Yeah. I was hurt the whole year actually, and uh, there was not a moment where I felt. I feel good, you know, I feel good, I have no pain. There was a lot of medication last year, which made me feel crazy, actually, at some at some moments. I, I don't respond well to medication, so um, it didn't feel like this last year. It was a constant battle with, with pain, with um, my own, you know, fear, like, is it gonna hurt again? I don't wanna go through that. So it was a lot of that, but, um, it took me to a point where I decided, okay, I gotta stop and try to figure out and and ch- actually, you know, change my life around around the tennis court because I had a lot of changes last year. So um, it took a little bit of time to regroup, reorganize, um, mature a little bit, understand how to organize yourself because I'm like a freak right now like i'm super organized like my bag has to be a certain way this has to be a certain way and i've never been like this i've been a little bit messy i just didn't care i would throw things around my mom was getting so pissed off at me and um but now i just i found like what works for me what makes me feel comfortable what makes me feel calm um at peace so it's it's good 
What's your first um, title with Wim as your coach? Is it, is, did he say anything special to you outside when you came back on court? He said, it's a proud of you, lady. That's, that was nice. <laughs> so with all the injuries, is that what's helped you sort of move to this living moment kind of zen-like state? With everything that's had gone on, you know, you've had the experience of winning and doing really well. You've also been right down at the bottom. Is, is, is that what's changed for you? Um, yeah, I think, you know, there there's always signs for everybody, you know, if you um, if you pay attention to them. Um, it's kind of a little bit probably easier to live your life. I obviously ignored for a long period of time and tried to act like this is not a problem. This is not something that I need to take care of. And um, I think that prolonged my um, injury a little bit. I didn't take enough time to figure out. I didn't take enough time to heal um, and uh, work on myself. But, you know, it takes, I think, you know, um, being an athlete, we always think about uh, physical uh, performance and you know tennis performance and tactical performance. But I think mental preparation is very important. Feeling happy on the court, you know, we have such a long season, and to to have that sense of um, you know just uh, enjoyment, joy on the court, I think is important too. What do you see in Vika this week that made her ready to, to win this title and in pretty convincing form all the way through? Well. Um she had a very good off-season, very long off-season. Um, there were a few issues she had to take care of, that foot injury. Lucky enough, um, she, I mean, she found uh, a way to get rid of that injury. So that was like a very, very important uh, start. And the second was to get her as fit as possible in about in about eight weeks. No. And I think um, I think we did a good job there. Um, she, I mean, she is much faster and. and and she's moving better on the court than she did uh, a few months ago. And um, no, she had a hard off-season. She worked really hard. And um, when I came here, I told her, like, you are very well prepared and you're playing very well in practice. And you're going to have success. But success, you never know when it's coming. It can come immediately. It can be here. can be uh, in a few weeks. You don't know. But, but I'm sure you're going to play well because I, I saw that yeah. on the practice. Sim. How, how did you feel about her? She had a very sort of tough 2015 to grade. I mean, on one hand, she played Serena really tough three mm -hmm. times and she made you know, push her harder than anybody. And Serena was the player of last year. And then she made two slam quarters. But she also didn't win the title. She didn't break top 20, I think. So overall, it's, it's just a weird year to sort of to measure. How, how did you feel about her, her 2015 and how did she feel about it? Um, I think her level at moments was actually very good. Yeah. I think um, I, she, she played some really good matches, like like the Serena match in Wimbledon and and the the Kerber match in the US Open, and also the Halep match was a very good match. So yeah. so at some at at moments she reached a really high level, but fortunately because of the injury she was not f not not fit enough the way she wanted to be, and. Um, well, I feel like there was there was not much missing to win a Grand Slam, by example. I mean, if she could have beat she could have beaten Halep that day, uh, but she did not. But if she if she would have beaten her, she could have won the US Open. So yeah. she was actually close. But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, she was she was not at her best. Like she was not fit enough. She was she was she was not at her best and. We're trying to get her to that to her best. I mean, she looks fitter now. I mean, she yeah. looks just you know uh, leaner. 
Is that something that was just a focus of just training more on that or changing diet or something? Or, or what, what, what went into that All decision? All different aspects. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we did, we did several tests, and I mean, she, she is she's fitter now. She's, she lost some weight, and, and she, she's, she's, much, uh, she's moving much better. That was our main focus at the, at the end of the year, to be fit. And, and she feels fit, and yeah. she feels happy, and she feels very happy with her game, with herself. And, uh, that's, you, that's where it all starts. Huh? How do you see her sort of maturing as she gets used? I mean, she's talked a lot about in press just this week about mm-hmm. you know learning to love herself or mm-hmm. different things that mm-hmm. she's found confidence or peace, self, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. peace with. Have you, have you noticed that translating on, on from your side of the equation? Yeah, I do. I mean, I uh, I've seen her very happy on on the practices. Um, she knows um, she has about like five more years that she really wants to go. Uh, hard on and tennis, and she really wants to use these these years like to really be at her best, uh, to have the best possible results, and she's she's willing to 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 do everything no. to reach that to reach the goal of, of winning more Grand Slams and and maybe one day again becoming number one in the world again. So yeah, that's the start. That's the motivation and. And uh, no, she has been doing everything with a smile so far, and uh, I'm happy um, we get the result now that that we wanted. Yeah, I mean, she, with especially with all the injuries from the top players this week, I mean, Serena pulled out a Hotman Cup, Maria, Simona, uh, Muguruza, all these players were pulling out, and Nico winning it's convincingly. She did. A lot of people are gonna put her on a very short list of favorites for the mm. Australian Open. I mean, do you think she's ready already to, to make a to be in that conversation and to win this tournament possibly coming up? Yeah, I believe so. I mean she was she was close. For me she was close last year about yeah. winning it. I mean she, she lost close to Serena and, and Paris, close to Serena Wimbledon and she lost close quarterfinal to Simona in uh, in the uh, US Open. She was already close and I'm sure she's better now. She's she's for me ten percent minimum better than she was last year so that's that's the reason why I believe she she can win a Grand Slam this year uh, maybe the Australian Open maybe another one but the the good thing about Vika is that she she really is a champion and and she she, she really believes also she yeah. can do it and that's for me. All, all is there are not so many players who really believe they can win the Grand Slam. On the men's side in Brisbane, things were clicking along pretty much as expected with Roger Federer until the final when he suffered a 6-4, 6-4 loss to Milos Raonic. A rare. I think I don't think anybody would have predicted a straight set loss for Roger that didn't involve a tiebreak against Milos. But he was really pretty outplayed. Didn't look sharp at all. After a week, he was pretty up and down with his with his cold or his flu or whatever that was. Uh, Milos kind of dominated him in the final and he's the one who starts off 2016 which what I think is a very big title for him after getting derailed last season uh Milos Milos looked good and Roger had understandable crappiness at times I think it's the nicest way to put it yeah no I yeah I watched that uh final on tv um from up here in in Sydney and yeah I mean i Basically what you said, I was surprised by kind of how flat Roger came out. The scoreline definitely is surprising. Obviously a big win for Milos. Uh, weird Lubacic undertones throughout the whole kind of uh, uh, matchup, which was kind of funny. Yeah. But, I mean, is this a loss that you read much into, Ben, for, for Roger? I don't, uh, just given kind of the extenuating circumstances. I think that it's definitely great for Milos, but I, because um, it was impressive 
his ability to bounce back because he did not look great against Dodig in his opening round. No. Um, so the way that Milos came through the draw was really strong and, and to get the, the title. But um, so I think it's great for Milos. I just don't think that the loss is that big of a deal for Roger um, just because he was he was not his preparation was a bit wonky um for the tournament due to his illness but i don't know what do you think i I completely agree i think this means a lot to milos he had some pretty solid wins beat a very hot tomic he he had not that hard to draw the rest of the way because he played lucas pui in the the quarters which is not a tough quarter by any stretch uh yeah but he looked really good and i think he's somebody who really very much like azarenka i think they're on a bit of a similar track like they are somebody outside the traditional you know shortlist front runners in terms of the seedings who i think can be a very relevant player in 2016 i mean let's remember milos got to number four he was like number four in madrid or wherever it was where he got injured and had to pull out for a significant stretch and wasn't really ready for the summer even when he was playing and you know the american hardcourts and in wimbledon he wasn't ready for it physically at all uh so he's somebody who i think can be on a very uh steep trajectory up the rankings back to being top eight at the very least top five pretty soon this year i really think the weapons he has the the way he plays is going to win him a lot of matches and i i know he's not people's favorite player to watch it's pretty clear from the reactions to the brisbane crowd and the you know rest of the career i mean he plays a very boring style tennis but it is efficient and it is something that is reliable i mean he's going to get a lot of a lot of wins this year um even not to be anything spectacular for him which not a lot of players in that in his category of the, you know, generation can say. I mean, like Dimitrov, who played also in Brisbane, Dimitrov has to be doing everything really well to win. And and he played okay and still couldn't beat Sick Roger. Yeah. And so that was... Think, Let's talk about Grigor Dimitrov for a split second. <laughs> okay. What do, I mean, what were your thoughts about him? What you got to say about Grigor? <laughs> I have so many things to say about Grigor. I don't know if I'm going to say him on, on, uh, on air. Just kidding. I'm, that was mean, but... Um, yeah, no, I mean, I was like, I couldn't decide whether or not I was impressed by Grigor in Brisbane or not. Like, if if, if, if if I walked away thinking, well, same old Grigor, or thinking that he was back to being kind of relevant again, because let's be honest, 2015 was just terrible. But I mean, it was a, it was a good win. He fought well. He competed well. You know, he didn't give up, as he was kind of a little bit more inclined to do in terms of last year. But... Yeah, I was I was pretty disappointed in kind of how things turned out in that match against him between him and Roger. Like I I was expecting I guess maybe a little bit more from Grigor, but I don't know. He does seem to play his best tennis when he feels like he's impressing a new girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the thing with with Grigor with me. I think he's turning more and more into a Kornikova like figure on tour. I mean, he's honestly like if you just look at like zoomed out. With all due respect, he gets more attention these days for who he's dating than his results. He made one Wimbledon semi and hasn't done much since it. I mean, the Kornikova parallels are getting there. I mean, he just has to show up in Enrique Iglesias' video and it'll be pretty much complete. (laughs) Don't tempt him. I just thought it, I don't know. I just thought it was really weird. Like, okay, you're starting your season. You just come off of a really terrible 2015. You're kind of not exactly the most relevant player. Uh, even at an ATP 250. Um, and it's the first tournament of the season, all the way down in Australia. It's a joint tournament. Your ex-girlfriend is obviously going to be there. She's the defending champion. And you bring your new girlfriend? It's just, it was inviting a level of attention and potential drama that I was like, I don't know, on some level, like maybe like the the, the, 
the coin kind of dropped in my head. I was like, oh, maybe he likes the drama. I don't know. Or just feel it somehow motivates him more. I don't know. But it was kind of like a weird situation to be around. It was. That was strange. I didn't I never saw uh, Miss Scherzinger while uh, while I was there. But yeah, she was she was all over the front page of the papers and everything. And I agree for somebody who you would think would want to put their head down and work. And I know that Milos has, has said this about himself this year. He said he wanted to do less press. He wanted, you know, to sort of just focus on his results. I mean, Grigor should be triply that attitude this year. You would hope if you want to see Grigor live up to what people thought was his slam winning potential at some point. Uh, yeah, lower the profile just a little bit until things settle. Um, I don't think she was there by the week's end, so maybe she won't be in Melbourne. Maybe it was just a short trip for whatever. But yeah, it was it was not <laughs> not encouraging or just kind of like eye rolly. But that I think is yeah, that that was the thing is that because she wasn't there through the end, I just was really confused because I don't think she's based in Australia. So did she come all the way down to be no. there for Brisbane, like to sit on the outer courts, like for Troisky Dimitrov? Like that's, I don't know. It's a bit, I, I just, it just seemed a bit parady to me um, and a bit odd. Yeah. It, it's just strange. I mean, this is, again, like I said, with the Kornikov analogy, he is, keeps dating people who are more famous than him. And it's, I don't know. It, it, just, it just strikes me as, yeah, not, Super, not that you know. Oh, love life is a distraction, whatever. And those are can be kind of negative tropes to roll out. But with Grigor and the results declining and this other part of his life picking up, it seems the trajectories are a little bit worrying. If you're somebody who wants to see him give his best uh, on the court and to get attention uh, for his on-court game and not for you know other things, right? You know, because it's like his on-court game should yeah. be the thing that you would just think that as a professional athlete, like that would be what you want people to know you for. Not that, like, who's on your arm or whose arm you're on, whatever, yeah. you know? So, but anyways. Yeah. Speaking of people with things on their arms, Milos Ronic wears a sleeve on his arm, and here he is talking about his uh, happiness with how his season started, and we'll follow this up with some audio, also from after the final, of Roger Federer. What does the win like this for you this It does great things, you know. For myself, it sort of... Uh, signifies in, uh, within the team, it shows how concrete and good the work we're doing is. And then also at the same time with the difficulties I've had last year, it's, uh, it's maybe a good way for me to show the other guys and, uh, and uh, that I will face going into Melbourne. You know, um, I've got my stuff back together and uh, I can play some good tennis again. Do you think that you can be ready to win a tournament like the Shine Open? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's sort of two steps. There's being able to step up and play great for two weeks, um, which uh, I believe I can definitely do. And then there's the aspect of if you want to compete, you know, to be the best player in the world, that's about playing a good about 30 weeks and that's maybe another step away but I definitely feel I have it within myself to step up and play great tennis for two weeks. Milos, how frustrated were you last year? You were playing pretty well until the spring, more or less you got hurt and then after that you kind of struggled. So just talk about that a bit. Yeah, it was, it was a frustrating, you know, I, I openly spoke about it. I want to make a true breakthrough out of slam last year. Um, it was frustrating for many aspects. Uh, I left a little bit disappointed maybe with the way I played in the quarters in uh, Melbourne, but you know, I felt like I was on the right track. 
and uh, then I missed I missed Paris. Um, technically, I pretty much missed Wimbledon as well because there was no way I could put myself in a in a position to contend uh, with only two weeks of tennis behind me. And then also the newer problems sort of took uh, the U.S. Open away from me. Uh, so those things were a little bit, you know, hard to take, hard to swallow, and and then that the fact that I thought it got better uh, after the U.S. Open, I played well in St. Petersburg, and then I went back to the whole, you know, dealing with issues again, and it was tough to also end the year early, uh, not play Paris, where the year before I I made finals, um, sort of see myself slip a little bit, even though I knew it was not necessarily strictly to my tennis level, but it was the outside things. Those things were hard to hard to accept, hard to swallow, and in some ways also um, depressing, you know, to deal with. Uh, every single year until now, my ranking had constantly been going up, some years more than others, but that's the thing I was most proud of, and to sort of see that slip uh, was hard to accept, that's for sure, and very motivating. So in November, December, what were you thinking, yeah, I can come back, I can get better? Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, I spent three weeks. I went, I spent some time in uh, Israel uh, to see doctors there. I spent some time in Toronto. I spent some time in uh, Monaco. You know, it was three weeks of five days here, five days there, just because we didn't have any clear solution or clear understanding what I needed to do to get better. Uh, that was the most frustrating part because everybody was saying, you know, you're getting better, you're getting better, and then I take a few steps back. And maybe the first few weeks of preparation were a little bit difficult because I was, it was just mentally draining because I, even though I knew I was better, I was still asking myself, okay, if I push myself this much, will it come up again tomorrow? And all these kind of things. But then when I was able to, you know, go through that for a few weeks, uh, IPTL was a little bit hard to sort of be facing the same issue a little bit again. But I could see that it was going together well. And I knew that I'd be dealing with small little things similar because it wasn't something I could make disappear in three, four weeks, uh, but, you know, I don't think twice about it and it doesn't weigh on me mentally. You, you seem to be quite your best and one thing played particularly well, Tough to say, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't play my best, but uh, um, when you play a big server, you first you focus on your own game and then you see what you can do in his game. And both sides were not really happening, I was struggling on the serve. Um, it's quite inconsistent, you know, but um, kind of felt like that throughout the week, which is also somewhat normal. And then from the baseline, you know, defense was never quite there throughout the week as well, at better moments for sure. But, um, you know, today when it, when it mattered, you know, I couldn't rely on it very much. And plus he's a good, aggressive player. Um, that was just not happening. So it was, a, yeah, it was a tough match for me throughout. Yeah, I mean, he definitely served big, and he's not going to give me that many opportunities, you know. And um, I thought he played okay. I don't know how well it is. He, he can talk about that, but uh, yeah. But still, considering the week I've had, I'm actually quite happy. So that's why I'm not down or anything or disappointed. Uh, if I would have known, I would have made the finals five days ago. I've been unbelievably happy. Thought we should give a shout out to Samantha Crawford, uh, an American qualifier who made the semis absolutely out of nowhere. I mean, this was one of the more just random, I think is a word for it, but 
uh, runs that I can see. I mean, she was not on anybody's radar for this tournament. She she won the USTA wildcard into Melbourne uh, for the Australian Open, uh, but doing it through the challenger events and didn't even like completely dominate the challengers, really. And now she is making it a semis of a premier event. And along the way, absolutely wiped the floor with Pekovic in the quarterfinals, just treeing and zoning, whatever you want to call it, for the entire match, winning 6-3-6-0 over a very solid top 20 player, beat Belinda Benchich as well, beat Parankova in qualifying. This was a, a very cool week, and she just seemed... So, yeah, she, she she was a fun kid to be around, I think, for the week, for sure. Oh, it was refreshing, and it reminded me of Yana Chepalova's run in Charleston a couple years ago of just a player where all of a sudden you were kind of like, wait, who this? <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, and trying to chase down details and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, great, great run by Samantha Crawford. And just, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of what happens with the rest of her career. I mean, we obviously saw the power and what she can do, you know, kind of standing and hitting. But I think what Victoria Azarenka uh proved and exploited was that you know you make her move and and problems start to 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 become evident in Sam Crawford's game so uh but definitely great for her she's still you know working a little bit or getting some advice from Mike Joyce former coach of Maria Sharapova she looked up to Sharapova and Ivanovich said she she wants to be play a big game wants to be aggressive definitely saw that this week um but I was actually talking to Belinda Bencic uh yesterday up here in Sydney about that match and Benchich kind of just like shook her head. She's like, I didn't have any control over that match. Like, you know, I was just standing there, you know, that, that, that's the level of, um, of power that Crawford was bringing. And it's not just pure power. It's, it's the just audacity to go for certain shots that no one should be going for, but for at least, uh, you know, a few of those matches, she was hitting them. So it was, uh, it was pretty fun. And yeah, it's nice to just kind of, she's 20 years old, but she definitely has that American teenager vibe. Um, about her, so it was good. Yeah, very good, and, and it was good to see her get to get a, a new name in the American ranks. Yeah, somebody with such a such a crazy fun to watch game when it's on. I bet I, I can tell. I'm guessing from how what we saw of her just briefly in Brisbane, and I actually didn't see the Benchich match. Um, but she, when she's on, it can be absolutely awe striking, and when she's off, it can be not that. I mean, she, <laughs> yeah. she, I think she only won. She only won eight points in the first set against Azarenka. A lot of which was about nerves and stuff. Um, but she's a very dangerous floater from Melbourne. Just somebody to watch out for and to, to get an eye on if you haven't seen her yet. She was uh, pretty fun. Speaking of um, dominance in matches, can we talk about what Novak Djokovic did to Rafael Nadal? That was... I'm still recovering from having to watch that. <laughs> well, t- t- tell, tell me about your feelings, Courtney. I- I'm, I'm here if you need to just tell an adult what, what you felt about watching what Novak did to Rafa in that match. It was awkward. Um, it was incredible. Like, I was watching the match while I was trying to pack for Sydney, and I was bursting out loud laughing. I just, like, some of the, just, it was just an amazing display by Novak. I mean, it was an important, in a weird way, statement win for Novak to kind of send a very loud and very, I don't know, this weird dominance klaxon. Like, yeah, 2016 is going to be even worse, you guys. Like, you know, in terms of like, I'm I'm that good, if not better. Like, you thought I was good last year? Check this out. Um, because Rafa, I thought, was playing pretty good in Doha up until then. He seemed to have some of his swagger back and was talking a big game. And, you know, a lot of like, I don't want to talk about 2015 anymore and moving on and you know, it seemed like Rafa had turned the page and then he takes the court against Novak and goodness gracious, that was just 
there are a lot of analogies that are just completely inappropriate that I would get in trouble for saying on air, so I'm not going to use them, <laughs> but it was crazy. Yeah, no, totally. It was it was hard. It was funny because it just seemed like absolutely a, a statement sort of match from him. It, it was him taking over the head-to-head winning record for the first time in their rivalry. I mean, Djokovic now leads the head-to-head 24-23, which are... Sidebar, ridiculous numbers. No one should ever play each other 47 times. Uh, but the fact that it's 24-23 Novak now, and he did so emphatically. And I think we can both agree that if they had played more often last year, they only played twice, uh, that Novak would have gotten the record uh, much sooner, the winning record much sooner than he did, just based on how both of their 2015s went. Uh, but yeah, Novak kind of seemed to be half-assed in the tournament up until that point. I mean, he played really lackadaisical tennis against uh, Burditch. It was pushy and you know not super aggressive, and it seemed to be enough. And I think maybe he was just trying to demoralize Burditch by being like, "Hey, let me go out here and not really look like I'm trying, and still beat you in straight sets." But then against Rafa, he was absolutely trying, and it was one of the best performances I've ever seen anybody give. And that's even after having been around Djokovic being a number one for quite a while. I mean, he just absolutely wiped the floor with him every single shot was so deep and hard and exactly where he wanted it to be. And Rafa had to play so well to win points. Yep. I mean, just mere points. And he only got three games in the end. And it still didn't feel as close as the score. That's the thing. I mean, really, it was, Djokovic was... It, it was yeah. It was so... The score line is deceptively close. I mean, that's the crazy thing about that yeah. match. And, and with Novak, I mean, he's kind of taking the concept of, like, video game tennis, taking it to a different level. Because his ability yeah. to control every single... This is such a British phrase that, or it's not really an American phrase that we use, but they say it all the time in foreign commentary. Like every question that Rafa asked, Novak had an answer to, you know, like. Very British. Yeah, Rafa was trying so hard and he was doing the best that he could. And Novak, even when you thought that Rafa had control, Novak, Rafa didn't. It was an illusion of control. You know, I mean, Novak knew exactly what was happening. It was just straight up the matrix. I mean, the dude is Neo right now. He just sees everything's in binary code. And it's like, it's he knows what's going to happen before you do. It's crazy. It was really, really good. And it made me think that, like, if you're talking, we have, we'll do predictions for the year at some point down the road. But, like, the over-under for number of slams Novak wins this year should probably be set at, like, three and a half. I think it's a fair line because this was absolutely, absolutely crazy. I, Vavrinka won also in Chennai. It's the other ATP result. Um, but not in any sort of this form. And with how Novak is playing, yeah, I, I really don't see, unless something goes horribly wrong for him, I don't see how he loses in, in Melbourne. I just don't. I don't remember feeling like either Tor had as prohibitive a favorite coming into a slam as I feel like Novak is for this one right now. Yeah, pretty much. Before the draw comes out. But I don't know. What would a tough draw even look like for him? Who's like, ooh, you got to watch out for that person like, there's nobody stan in the semis stan in the semis yeah i mean i guess that's right stan is the only one but even then novak has more often than not gotten the better of that even though a couple of famous examples of it going the other way yeah i mean yeah, exactly uh, you only say it yeah. just because we know what stan has been able to do to novak in the past on in big matches so and he's really the only one that's consistently been able to do that i mean yeah i i just don't see it happening with roger I, yeah I, the gap is massive you know, it's as big as I I remember it being personally, especially as I've covered the sport. I don't I don't remember the gap, um, the perceived gap in quality between number one and the rest of the field being as big as it is right now. Obviously, I wasn't covering the sport back when Roger was doing his thing, uh, so probably I'm sure that there may be something there. But yeah, it's it's nuts. 
He's he's pretty impervious right now. Pretty impervious indeed. To round up the week, we should also give a quick shout out to Sloane Stevens, who got her second career title in Auckland, moving to a career record of two and zero in finals. Sloane is quietly becoming the finals goat, indisputably. Uh, she beat. Yulia Gerges in the final, and more impressively beat Caroline Wozniacki in the semis, who she was previously 0-5 against, having never won a set. So to win that match for her, I think, was really pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, she also just signed with IMG. She's working with Kamau Murray, who formerly was known as Taylor Townsend's coach, who wasn't Zena Garrison. Um, so that's a good uh, pickup for her all around, I would say. And she's somebody, again, who a little bit like Azarenka, but not quite, obviously, with the track record. She's somebody who I think can take advantage of some draw chaos in Melbourne for sure. Oh, most definitely. I mean, a second-week run for Sloane Stevens. you know, there was a time when that is that was the expectation. Um, and I think that, uh, especially given her form last week, uh, she, was, she was good. And I think that what was doubly impressive about that win over Wozniacki in the semifinals is that she had to overcome a, a rain suspension. So she was up 5-2 when the rain came in the first set, they had to call it. She had to go and do double duty on the Saturday, finish up Caroline Wozniacki. She did that, uh, beating her in straight sets, which, you know, that is, that's a, that's an achievement for Sloan, you know, to be able to not get distracted or to not feel sorry for herself or feel like, oh man, I had the lead and then the rain came, you know, all of the sort of things that we have seen Sloan, those mental, the mental meanderings that we've seen from Sloan Stevens in the past. So, that was that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, second week, there's no reason why why she shouldn't be there. Um, kind of almost regardless of her draw, really. Um, she has that quality. But good to see her kind of start the year off well. And for all of the flack that she took about never making a, a WTA final up until DC last year, she's now 2-0 and in finals, people. She really is. And she is somebody, yeah, who, I mean, I think she's one of those people a little bit like... Jeannie, I guess it's the other comparison. Jeannie, by the way, came back and played matches, so good for her for being back on court. But Sloan, I think 2013 was definitely ahead of schedule, and she's still young. And she has shown that even with as incomplete of a player as she was, honestly, in 2013, that she can beat some of the best players under the right circumstances and can be near the edge of the top 10. So I think she's somebody who I think will absolutely, at the very least, be a solidly top 20 player if nothing goes really downhill for her. In this year, I mean, she should be in that range for sure. And she should make it very tough for someone like a very good player, like a Coco Vandeweghe to make the U.S. Olympic team. It's going to be a tough race. That's a good point. There with, with Sloan, Coco, and uh, Madison Keys all trying to get those third and fourth spots. Not to mention Lepchenko and the other players who would make it pretty easily from other countries. So there's that. And the last event of the week was Hopman Cup. Hopman Cup, uh, which was won by Australia Green. Uh, Australia, as we lamented in the fall, uh, entered two teams uh, for the first time into what is still an ITF-sanctioned event. I mean, I don't have a problem with it from the XO point of view. Clearly, from everything I've heard, the Aussie teams, when they're on TV, when they're selling tickets, when they're just doing internet traffic, Aussie teams generate much better numbers for Hopman Cup than do foreign teams. That's all fine and great, uh, but it just makes it not like the sort of official international mixed competition at the ITF. I don't think you can do that when you're stacking the deck and having it be an invitational to start with and then having two teams from the host country come in regardless of that Aussies win uh it's Nick Kyrgios's first title if you want to call it that um which I'm not sure you should uh he won with Gavrilova but I think the moment that most stuck out to me or the reaction to the moment the moment was nothing but the actual the reaction to the moment that really I, I wouldn't say stunned but just sort of 
made my eyes roll with remarkable RPMs was uh, Jack Sock's moment of unparalleled sportsmanship <laughs> against Leighton Hewitt. I mean, for those of you who didn't see it, uh, Jack Sock is playing Hopman Cup, not playing very well. He lost a couple matches to players ranked <laughs> below him, barely beat Vesely in his third match. And in the first set of his match against Leighton Hewitt, who's doing his whole retirement tour and everything, it's like Hewitt's serving at 4 or 5, 30 love. Things are just chugging along. Hewitt hits a serve. It's called out. Jack thinks it's in. And it's like, oh, you should challenge that or something because it was, you know, in. And if Hewitt eventually does challenge it and it was in, and people are acting like this is like this great moment of selflessness and putting everything before wanting to win, which is my main point because did Jack even want to win this match? No, because he wasn't really trying and lost, as have other players in Hobbin Cup times and time before. It's also a completely non-crucial part of the match on serve in the fourth set, already down 30 love. And I mean, there was an editorial about it, how great it was in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, everything about it was just ridiculous. And if you compare it to the other... I think most common similar moment, which I guess is Smichek and it all, what happened with that match, that was 6-5 in the fifth set of the Australian Open at like 30 love with it all two points from winning. That's like a totally, totally different ball of wax than first set on serve and Hopman Cup against the retiring player. I don't know. All of it I just thought was completely overblown and nonsensical. It was according to you feel it was on the t- it was on the Today Show and stuff. It got so much ink. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah, the 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 vi- the virality of it was shocking. You know, like it okay, it was a very nice thing that that Jack Sock did. It was sportsmanship. It's also an exhibition against the hometown player who is retiring and playing his final Hotman Cup in Leighton Hewitt. It has been my experience watching Hotman Cup that, you know, the women try in their singles matches take it really seriously. The guys in their singles matches the goal is not to get injured, you know, like they're there to, to, yeah. to kind of hit around and to get the blood flowing. But the intensity with which the men play their singles matches at Hopman Cup, nowhere near the intensity that the women play. And that's just probably, I don't know, the girls just take it seriously. They've, they've told me that a gazillion times. Yeah, they get really they, mad when they lose at Hopman with, Cup. With, with the exception of Serena, well, I yeah, say, yeah, who was enough. last year not really trying. Um, but, but yeah, no, that's totally true. When I was there, when I was at Hopman Cup in 2012, it was pretty noticeable and I think especially maybe the American guys, for whatever reason, Marty Fish was there, and he was just not really trying. And he got a little upset at me for tweeting something like, everyone seems to be trying, but Marty Fish. He saw that and did not like that. So that was an early lesson for me for not, you know, for being careful what I tweet on some level. Not that I wouldn't say that now, but um, but yeah, <laughs> he was not trying. That's the thing, like, sportsmanship in this context of being willing to concede a point only matters if you care if you win the point or not. Well, and also and in a, Jack Sock in, had no reason to in care. a competition that is that matters, that has consequences. Yeah. There are no consequences to losing Hotman Cup. Like there's, you know, there's none. There's zippity no. doo da. So the idea that like, I mean, are we going to start seeing like viral sportsmanship moments from IPTL on like SportsCenter's top 10? Like, <laughs> is that what we're doing now? Or like, you know, the hit and giggle between Serena and, and Caroline in Denmark. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there was some conceding of points. Or when Caroline gets into fake arguments with umpires at exhibitions, do we then go and say, like, oh, my gosh, Caroline got into an argument with an umpire at an exhibition? It's like, no, this is all part of a show. An exhibition is a show. It is not a match. It is not a sanctioned match. It does not matter who wins and loses. And so it's like, yeah, great. And I don't think that I'm not saying all this to say that like Jack Sock's not a good sportsman. I actually think he is. I think he has good sportsmanship. But this incident was like atomic and I did not understand why. 
Atomic as an explosion, not atomic as in Bernard or Sarah Atomic, you mean? Yes. Yes, I, I, I should have clarified that. I forgot that we're in Australia. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much for all being good sports and listening to episode 139 of No Challenges Remaining. Uh, if you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash ncrpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis. You can send us questions for upcoming shows uh, to our email, nochallengedemanding at gmail.com or whatever you want to send us. We're happy to take there. You can also uh, subscribe to our show and get new episodes delivered automatically to you on iTunes, on the podcast app, on the iPhone, any other podcasting service. We are there. And if you leave us reviews on iTunes in particular, uh, we appreciate that very much. And lastly, we are now in the last week of our Kickstarter, which is going still incredibly well. Um, slow down a little bit this week, but that's obviously fine. And so if you guys want to support the show in that way, uh, don't delay. Time is running out. It will all end in just under a week, I think, from when we're recording this. So one last plug of saying, or what, not one last, we'll do a draw show also, but one of the later times we'll be able to say do it. And if you want to do it, uh, time is running out. But thank you once again to the over 400 now people who have, who have donated to us. And I think that 400 number is uh, just as cool as the total dollar amount, which is also very cool. Most definitely. And and uh, just so that people know, we do have a stretch goal that is in place. So basically, if we hit $17,000 before the end of the campaign, Ben and I will do a daily Periscope every single day from Melbourne during the tournament to just kind of recap the action, chit-chat, do whatever, you know, basically let you in on basically what happens when play is over and we've done, we're done filing and Ben and I like go like hang out at a bar and like decompress on the day's action. We'll just do that on Periscope. Yeah. So if we hit 17,000, that's how, that's what we're going to do. So there's some incentive, uh, but uh, obviously we're already totally over the moon uh, with what's already happened. So, but, uh, but there you go. There are a few other rewards as well, you know, programs from different tournaments and stuff. So Go check it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of our new rewards that we'll, we will track down a uh, program, tournament program for you uh, from any tournament uh, in the calendar, I guess, after the Australian Open. We will do our best to get that to you if you want to have a virtual souvenir from somewhere far flung in the world. If you always wanted to go to, I don't know, you know, WTA uh, Monterey or something. That would be a weird choice, but we would respect it and we'll get you that program. And yeah, any, anything else like that, I will be happy to do for you. And we have still our... Our Skype chat's available if anyone wants to come, you know, join us in our normal Skype studios and feel like you're actually getting to join this conversation we have about tennis and any other off-topic things. And the postcards we're doing, we're getting ready to buy all these postcards. That'll be fun um, and exhausting, but mostly fun, I hope. And yeah, it's a lot of other stuff coming up. So if you want to donate to our Kickstarter, we've tweeted the link several times. Um, it's on Facebook, too, and we'll have it in the description of this episode. Let's end with our normal rant rave. Corny, you want to go first or second here? Um, it doesn't matter. If you have something on your mind, go for it. Okay. Um, I will say that I will briefly – I've done a lot of movie raves lately, which is not normally likely, but I've watched movies. And I watched uh, The Martian yesterday on my flight from Brisbane to Melbourne. First of all, quick rave to having movies available on a flight that's barely over two hours. That was kind of cool. And so, But I was really nervous about not having – time to finish it because the movie was two hours and 20 minutes long and the flight was about two hours and 20 minutes long exactly so i finished it while on the runway taxiing 
uh, to the gate. So it was a close call on that front. Every time that like the pilot would come on and like make an announcement, I got really annoyed that he was eating up my precious movie time. Um, but yeah, it was good. And people, it won the Golden Globe very just before uh, I got on the plane for comedy. It's a funny movie. I'm not sure. Comedy is, you know, I understand people think, think, seeing the title or a preview for it and not think it's comedy. It was a super duper lighthearted movie full of an astronaut doing zany things while disco music plays. So it was not a serious drama, I'll say that. And it was all pretty, pretty good on that front. So if you're looking for yet another movie to watch from this show, uh, The Martian is surprisingly lighthearted and fun given its subject matter. So I give it two thumbs up. Courtney? Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I'm not going to rant about The Revenant because I feel like I've done that enough on my Twitter account. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I saw it before I, before I left uh, the States. It's not great. Mm-mm. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> I really used to love, like, Inurito's work. I loved Amores Peros. That's, like, one of my, like, kind of favorite movies of the last, like, decade and a half. It's fantastic and really gritty and interesting. So many of his recent movies, in particular, in particular The Revenant and um, Birdman, it just felt like they were movies you make just like on a dare like 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 i'm gonna do this just because i can and you take away from the message and the decisions that you make as a director don't actually fuel your story they're just there because you just want to show how good you are as a director and i find that to be really preposterous and pointless and um i don't like it when directors insert themselves like that there's at this point like for me with inyuritsu like the work that he's done over the course of the last couple it's michael bay like in terms of like wow you made that decision just because you could not because it actually services your movie at all. Um, and let's be clear, Birdman is way better than The Revenant, but um, The Revenant's dumb. But yeah, no, my my rant slash rave, David Bowie, I'm really sad. I really, really am genuinely sad. I was like, David Bowie passed away uh, yesterday on uh, whatever the Sunday was, or Monday, I guess, the age of 69 due to cancer. You know, it's, it's hard to even articulate, but basically for the last, ever since then, I've just been on kind of a Bowie binge and I was up till five o'clock in the morning just like listening to to Bowie and not uh, and unable to sleep and it just his passing away like and and just kind of reflecting on his career it kind of made me stop and kind of wonder a little bit you know in, in 30 years who are the are we currently living with any artists that we will speak of with the reverence that we speak about you know David Bowie and I I don't know I mean I'm, I'm still kind of working my way through that question but um, but he's just, you know, he was just such a, a one of a kind and an innovator and just different. And he made weirdos and, you know, just feel like it was OK. And it was and he's just wonderful and just a beautiful human being and a beautiful soul. And uh, yeah, I will just listen to Space Oddity for the next, you know, probably two weeks and be in a state of melancholy. So if you catch me in a, in a, in a weird stare as you as I'm walking around or like tears in my eyes at my desk that's it's probably bowie related trust me it's yeah bowie was awesome i i would i had a feeling you were gonna do bowie which is why i didn't do bowie uh but he yeah he had this way of being weird and making it feel not like any sort of act or any sort of gimmick i mean with him it just seemed like he was being himself in this way that seemed so much more i mean there's been other people other performers someone like a you know a lady gaga or whatever you want to say more recently who've done things that were attention grabbing and with him it never seemed like that at all it just seemed like he didn't feel inhibited in this way that i don't think many other performers or artists or cultural people get to get to do and yeah he was definitely 
amused for a whole lot of people in that sense. For sure. And I think that one thing that I've really been centered on the last, you know, 24 hours or so is just, I mean, you listen to Bowie's music and musically it's so interesting the way that he uses like stereo and you can hear, you know, some sounds out of one ear and the other. And there's a lot of just like amazing technical things that he did with in terms of creating his sound. But I've kind of actually been going just back to Bowie as a lyricist. And he was just an incredible lyricist. And it was, there was a lot of surrealism and a lot of just weird ideas that he wove together, lots of turns of phrases. But there were just little things where I was just like, God, that's so good. And I didn't, I maybe didn't appreciate it 24 hours ago. But now looking back on it, I, I, I just, it hits me a little bit more. It's always going to be the case when you lose an, an artist or a friend or a person in your life that, that's just gone and everything just about their life stands in such stark realness all of a sudden in a way that it, maybe it didn't before. Um, but yeah, like if you have a chance, like just go back and just like, uh, you know, just read Bowie's lyrics. They're just, they're just absolutely beautiful and they were different and surreal. And, um, and it, and what you were saying is so true to it as well, which is that like, he never made his weirdness like an act. And so when Bowie would like put out an album and you're like, Oh, what's this album about? Oh, it's about kind of like space and time and like a different universes and blah, blah, blah. You're like, Oh, okay. Like it didn't feel like a concept album or like, oh, there goes, there goes Kanye being weird again. Like, you know, it never felt like that. It was just like, oh, that's what Bowie wanted to sing about. That's cool. So yeah, so he will be missed, but man, his impact, I mean, you can just see it on social media is, has been, uh, yeah. has been something, you know? I mean, few artists will be able to unite a very, very angry world the way that, that Bowie has in the last 24 hours. Definitely. So we will leave you with some David Bowie here. Uh, we'll be back to you later this week for a draw show once the draw comes out. Until then, see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Commencing countdown engines on Check ignition and may God's love be with you.